0: I invite you to pray with me as we begin. Heavenly Father, this morning, as we've worshiped you in song and prayer, and uh, may our worship to you be something that encourages you. And God, as we open your word, may we know your heart for us better. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a first grader, my family moved from the suburb of Atlanta named Smyrna, Georgia, up to Northeast Tennessee to a town called Greenville, Tennessee right in the middle of my first grade year. Now, some parents may say, ah, oh, it's a great time for kids to move their first grade. They'll make more friends. It was terrible. Have you ever moved during a school year? Any of you? <clears throat> a few of you. It's the worst ever. It doesn't matter if you're in first grade or fifth grade or a college, whatever. In the middle of the year, it's miserable. And so we get to Greenville and the first day of school for me, right in the middle of the year, it wasn't even like a semester change, just right in the middle, like a February something, And my dad drives me to school this day. And on the way to school, he can sense that I don't want to go at all. I'm not interested in going to school. We pull into the parking lot and he parks the car a long ways away from the front door of the school. He can sense that there's some feelings going on. And I just start crying. I said, dad, don't make me go. Please don't make me go. I don't want to go. He's feeling guilty because it was his job that made us move. And so he starts the car and we drive down the road and we go to this place called the Davy Crockett Dam. The Nolichucky River flows through Greenville and the whole river dumps over this man-made dam. And so we we were there for about an hour talking and throwing rocks into the water and just hanging out. And after about an hour, he said, well, Matt, let's let's go back to school. And so we get into the car, we drive back to the school and he parks in the same place a long ways away from the school and, and I said, dad, I don't wanna go. I said, I don't wanna go. So he gets out of the car and he walks up to the school and he comes back a few minutes later with two people. One was my teacher. Her name is Kathy Seely. She comes up to the car door and I open the door and she says, well, hello, Matt. I'm Miss Seely. It's so good to meet you. Would you like to come to school today? Uh-uh. <laughs> I don't care how nice you are. I don't want to go. And there was another person with her. It was Ryan McDonald. Here's a picture of him. These are the only pictures I can find of the two of us. I think this is at some adventure investiture. I'm not sure what I'm doing in the right picture, but that's all the pictures I had of this guy. Just a short kid. Uh, never met him before, but he was in my class. And he came over to the door and he said, "Hey, I'm Ryan. Do you want to go to school?" Well, I wasn't so sure, but was thinking about it now. And as we're just there, kind of looking at each other, he reaches down and he takes off his shoe. These are the kind of shoes he was wearing. Here's a picture of him. There you go. Nothing says 1990 like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Velcro shoes. He pops this stinky, smelly shoe off, and he says, would you like to call your mom? He hands me his shoe. Now I'm I'm holding this strange kid's stinky, smelly shoe and he turns it over for me. And on the bottom of the shoe, the tread had been cut out to be a dial pad of a phone. This is long before cell phones, obviously. And I am holding this phone shoe and I I pretend to dial. See, now we're having fun. I'm pretending to dial my mom. Now I hold this smelly shoe up to my face and have a pretend conversation with my mom. And I I hand it back to him and he says, come on, let's go to school. And that's all it took because now I had a friend and we walked up to the school together and We've been friends for a very long time. A friend that I knew was on my side. A friend that I knew had seen me at my worst. He wasn't there to make fun of me that I was crying. He wasn't there to make fun of me that that I was the new kid. He just was my friend no matter what. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus gets labels and gets defined in different ways. Some people called him a miracle worker. Some people called him a a kind-hearted preacher. Um, at one point, Jesus is, is preaching in Capernaum, and he leaves the synagogue, and there's a demon-possessed man that's there, and the, the demon-possessed man comes up to him, and the demon inside says, I know who you are. You are son of the Most High God. Another story is Jesus and Satan. They're on the temple in Jerusalem, and, and Satan talks to him, and Satan gives him a label. He says, you are the Son of God. And while all those labels fit, the one that I love the most is as Jesus is defined as a friend. If you've got your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open it to Matthew chapter 11, where we read just one verse and where you get to see Jesus defined as my favorite way. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, it's okay. There's a blue book in front of you. You can follow along on page 689. And while you're turning there to Matthew chapter 11, I'll just give you a little bit of context. So Jesus, he's already sent the 12 disciples out to heal and preach and cast out demons. Uh, at this time, John the Baptist is in prison, and Jesus is at an all-time low because he's watched how the world and society and culture has treated John the Baptist, the, the preparer of the way. He's in prison, he's been rejected, and now they're rejecting him. And as he speaks in Matthew chapter 11, he repeats words that others describe him as. Matthew chapter 11, just right there in verse 19 Jesus says, this is how people have described me. Uh, if you're there, say amen. Okay, we're ready. Matthew 11:19. 19, it says this. Jesus says, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, if you've ever thought that there's ever sarcasm in the voice of Jesus, I think this is where it is. Because Jesus says, yeah, you know what they say about me? They call me a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And you know what? I think Jesus loves this. I think he loves to be defined as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He loves it. In fact, he's quoting them from another chapter. If you'll turn your page over to Matthew chapter 9, we get to see the original time that they called him this. Just a page over, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. It's right in the middle of Matthew being called to follow Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Here's what my Bible says. Here's the calling. Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he said. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come, I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come for the sinners." And this is the best words ever coming from the Savior. It makes my heart happy when I hear these words. I have relief when I hear that Jesus came for the sinners. The Pharisees say, why does Jesus eat with them? And Jesus says, it's because I'm their friend. Of all the defining words that we could use to describe Jesus, him being my friend makes me feel the best. I mean, how often have we, instead of calling him our friend, we've made him our enemy uh, so often we say, oh, Jesus is the one that puts the, the unreachable benchmark of perfection here. And he points out our faults that we can't reach it when it's just the opposite. Jesus is the one that says, they're the ones that need me the most. And that's why I'm here. He says, I've come for the sick people, from the, for the worst people, the ones that can't make it. This analogy that Jesus uses as he talks about the doctor. I, I can't help but see the visual. about how the doctor comes for the sick people? We've all been to the doctor's office. You you signed up for your annual physical. You don't even need to go because you are the epitome of creation health, okay? You exercise daily. You drink all your water. You eat your fruits and veggies. You are healthy. You're fantastic. But you do it anyway because you should do it. And you go to the doctor's office you give them your insurance card, and the receptionist says, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have you in the system, and you spend 10 minutes trying to figure this out. Have you done that before? I'm the only one, literally the only one this happens to? You guys are, are you're, you're scared, aren't you? It's okay, we can loosen up in here, it's all right. So you go sit down after they get, you give you the paperwork, and you sit down in the doctor's office, and you look around the room to see who else is there. And over on the right, you see um, this guy. In fact, you can hear him before you see him and he is absolutely coughing up a lung. I mean, it's just a raspy, hoarse cough, just coughing, coughing, coughing. You look over at him, kind of out of the corner of your eye, you see him light up a cigarette, he starts to smoke his cigarette, and as he puffs on the cigarette, he's fumbling in his pocket for his inhaler, and he rotates between the cigarette and a puff of the inhaler and back to the cigarette. He's coughing and coughing. He's dying over there. You look over to the left, you see another guy. Oh, he's been in an accident. He's got his leg propped up on a chair. He's wrapped it with God. There's a piece of pipe sticking out of his, it's bleeding. His, his friend is there comforting him. He's, he's miserable. He's dying over there too. There's a kid in front of you with a mom and the mom's got the kid wrapped up in a blanket and the mom pulls out a thermometer because you always carry one of those around with you. And she takes the temperature of the child and she says, 106? Are you kidding me? The doctor comes out. You're thinking, am I in the right place? Like, am I in the right doctor's office? Like, where am I? Doctor comes out and he, he scans the, the, the room there. He's, he looks at this guy that's hacking up along. He looks at the guy that has a leg that's falling off. He looks at this kid that's basically dead and he says, Ew, gross. Sir, you look healthy. Come on back. Let's do your annual physical. It doesn't happen. This isn't a real story. The doctor comes out and he says, no, 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 no. I'm actually here for them. I'm here for the ones that are sick, the ones that are dying. I didn't come for the healthy ones. I came for the worst ones, the ones that need me the most. And when Jesus says that he's friends of tax collectors and sinners, he's saying, I came for the worst ones. I mean, nobody likes a tax, tax collector. I mean, even here in America, that's the worst part of the year. April 15, tax month, terrible. And in the context of here, these tax collectors were the worst of worst. People hated them. They were the thieves of everybody's hard-earned money. They were the, the cheaters. They were the ones everybody hated. In most people's minds, the tax collectors were the lowest of the low. And it's the lowest of the low that Jesus chooses to hang out with. He's not afraid of them. He's not grossed out by them. He's not worried what other people are going to think of him when he hangs out with them. He wants to be with them. And because this is the heart of Christ, the worst of the worst, they know they're safe with him. Luke 15 puts it this way. Here it is on the screen. The tax collectors and the sinners, they were all drawing near to him. They knew it was a safe place to be with Jesus. They knew they could truly be themselves with him. It's not like Jesus was cool with their sins, like, yeah, yeah, they don't matter. That's not it at all. But he knew that the best way to get sin out of their life was to fill their lives with Jesus. And so he said, come near me. I want to be with the worst of the worst. You can be with me. They were at ease with him. They sensed something different. When everybody else held them at arm's length, Jesus offers them the closeness of hope. In fact, Jesus is really simply pulling them closer and closer to his heart. You know, when we think about friendships, everybody has friends, and I think there's different layers of friendship. In fact, I made this beautiful graph for you. Here it is. I know you can't read it. Here we go. Ready? There we go. You can't read it. It doesn't matter. I'll tell you what it is. At the, the, the circle of friendships, you've got the strangers and the outermost circle. This is like when you're in Publix and you're, you're walking down the cereal aisle looking for the BOGO deals and you pass somebody going the other way. You don't care that they're there. They don't care that you're there because you're strangers. Just keep on a walking. You go to the next level, the acquaintances. Now, this is a little different. These are the kind of people that you sit on the same pew at church with. You might know their name. Uh, maybe you have intramurals with their kids or, or you went on a Pathfinder camp out with them and you laughed a little and you, 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 know what they do. You, you roasted s'mores together, but you're not even like fist bump friends yet. You're just kind of like acquaintances. You know, you know about them, they know about you. It's just kind of a cool thing, but that's it. Then you've got the next layer, which is the friends layer. Now, you extroverts, you think everyone's in this layer. Just love everybody. You introverts like me, kind of like you're selective on your friends, but you have, you've got some friends in there. These are people that you know about their lives. You might have gone on vacation with them or a cruise with them and like, you're pretty close. You talk on the phone once in a while and, and, and you're, you, you can send your kids to their house and they can send theirs to your, like, you're close. You're, you're in the friend area. Now, some of you, you, uh, used to be in the best friend area and now you got friend zone back out to the friend. You know what I mean? That's what happened. This is a visual representation of the friend zone. Here you go. Now, some of you, have that innermost circle, and I hope all of you do, the best friend circle. It might only be one person in your life. Maybe two. Like peanut butter and jelly up here. These are the people that really know you know you. These are the people you can really be the true self with. These are the kind of people that you can send Instagram reels to that are slightly inappropriate. You have some friends like that? You need Instagram is what you need. Or better, friends. These are the kind of people that you can really like pour your heart out to, that you can cry with, that they can truly see who you are. This is the most intimate level of relationship. Best friends really get you. They're the ones that you feel safe with, really safe with. These are the friends that you can be real with, that they they will accept you no matter what you're like. Good, bad, ugly, all of it. Dane Orland, he's the author of that book that we've been using, Gentle and Lowly, he puts it like this. He says, on the screen, he says, in Jesus Christ, we are given a friend, I would say a best friend, who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. This is a companion whose embrace of us does not strengthen or weaken, depending on how clean or unclean, how attractive or revolting, How faith, who faithful or fickle we presently are. That's a best friend is what that is. And you have best friends and you know what it's like, but even with your bestest best friends, it's still hard to openly share your most vulnerable parts of your being. It's hard to be that real with someone. I mean, even in a marriage, it's easier to be naked physically than to be naked in our inmost beings. But with Jesus, he's the friend that lives at the very center of that best friend relationship, a friend with no limits, with no ceiling as to how much he'll put up with, with a non-judgment that is always there for you, no matter how ugly or awful you really are. That's a good friend. In the book of Revelation, Jesus, he's talking about the church in Laodicea. Uh, You you know the seven churches, and, and oftentimes we are that church of Laodicea. Uh, Jesus describes you and me like this. He says, You, Forest Lake Church, are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, I don't know if you're uncomfortable this morning, but it's about to get real uncomfortable in here. This is about as vulnerable as you can get wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You're distraught, you're sad, you're worthless, and you're buck naked. You can't get any more vulnerable. That's the real you. That's the honest truth. That's the reality of who you are at the core. But but watch what happens. Watch what Jesus is doing to this church. Just three verses later, here's what he says. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now, I don't blame you if you're terrified of this situation because it's kind of a worst case scenario. You're at home. You just got out of the shower and the doorbell rings. You're naked. The doorbell rings, who is it? Is it the Amazon driver? Uh, uh, Is is it Vision Solar coming to give you a new bid for, for solar panels? Is it your friend, your neighbor that they come? It doesn't matter who it is because you are in your most vulnerable state ever. You're not answering that door. I don't care if you got a hot pizza coming. You're not answering the door. Just leave it at the door, please. You're the most vulnerable state. You're never gonna let them in. Isn't it funny? How when we are naked, we are so incredibly vulnerable. When I went from uh, high school to college, this transition, it was very memorable in my mind because I went to Georgia Cumberland Academy, GCA, and uh, the way their door, the bo- boys' dorm is set up, they have four halls for the different classes, freshmen, sophomore, junior, seniors. And on the hall, every hall has one bathroom and it's a standard bathroom. It's got toilets and urinals and there's four showers. Uh, they have individual showers with a shower curtain. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if anybody else is in there. You just go in your shower, pull the curtain, you do your thing, whatever. Put your underwear on, go back out with life. It's 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 no big deal. But as I'm going to Southern, all I remember hearing about were the gang showers. Fellas, you go to Southern? Anybody? You you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Uh, and as a as a dude, even though dudes are dudes, whatever, it's still terrifying to think of gang showers. And I knew that as a freshman going into Southern uh, that I was gonna be on one of the oldest wings in the dorm and they had the gang showers. Now when I get to Southern, you go into the bathroom, into the shower area and it's like one step above the freestanding pole in the middle of the shower with shower heads. That's bad, this was not that bad. At least they have dividers in between the guys but still, there you are. Buck naked, taking a shower with a whole bunch of soapy dudes. I have a visual for it. I'm kidding. I'm totally joking around. (laughs) It's so awkward. It's so uncomfortable. It's just vulnerable. If being a sinner means that you're naked then it makes sense that when Jesus knocks and you're in your towel, you wouldn't want to open the door to him. But it hasn't always been that way. At the very beginning, God, he creates the earth, he makes the planet, he he makes water and light and trees and animals, and he makes... Adam, and, and Adam is lonely, and, and he's there in the garden by himself, and so God makes him this gorgeous, stunning beauty named Eve, and there they are together in the garden, and uh, they're they're walking around, they're enjoying life, it's perfect, there's no sin in the world, this is how the Bible describes them, and man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed, buck naked, they didn't even know it, it didn't matter, because there's no drama, there's no secrets, there's no sin, there's nothing to hide. So well, watch what happens as Eve and Adam take the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The very next verse, after they take the bite, here's how they're described. Here it is. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. As soon as sin entered the human race, they realized that they were naked. It was different. When sin happens, you feel vulnerable all of a sudden. And even though God knew what they'd already done... Even though he knew that they had sinned, he comes walking through the garden trying to find them. And what are they doing? They're hiding. They're ashamed. They're embarrassed. They feel vulnerable and like God won't want them anymore. Yet he's the one that's searching for them. If there ever was a doubt in your mind about what the heart of Christ looks like, it's this idea right here. Let's put it on the screen for you. When you sin, it's Jesus that searches for you. Why is it that when we sin, we feel like we want to run away from God and hide from him? It's just, this natural. He he already knows. Because we sin, we feel this being exposed and we feel vulnerable. And when Jesus knocks, he already knows your most vulnerable state, what it looks like. He knows the sin in the deepest crevices of your heart. He already knows your failures and your your flaws and your faults. He knows your weaknesses. He knows it all, and in spite of knowing it all, he still wants to hang out because he's the best friend you could ever have. He wants to sit at the table with you and eat and drink and laugh and cry and just be with you. He doesn't run away from you at your worst. In fact, he does just the opposite and runs toward you. Listen, if sin was nakedness, then Jesus loves you despite your stretch marks. If sin was nakedness, then Jesus loves you despite your spare tire muffin top. If sin was nakedness, then Jesus loves you despite your hairy back and all your moles. He knows the worst of you and it draws him to you because that's where you need him the most. You know, what's interesting about this friendship relationship with Jesus is that it's it's not a one-way street, it's a two-way street. In fact, Jesus describes our relationship in John 15. Here's what he says. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you what? Friends. He calls us friends. Not sinners, he calls us friends. Besties. Not only is Jesus knocking at our door, but he also wants you to feel comfortable coming to him. It's like this open door policy. He wants you to come and approach the throne of grace when you need him the most, because that's where you can find healing. That's where you can find rest. He wants you to come too. It's an open door policy. I remember uh, the conversation very clearly. I'd been dating uh, Jen for probably six or eight months but I'd known her for a long time and I'd, I'd been to her family's home in Dalton, Georgia over and over and over again. I knew the routines of the family. I knew the do's and the don't do's. I knew what they liked and you can't put your elbow on the table and you can do this, but not this. I knew, I knew the system. I, you know how it is. Especially when you're dating a girl, you gotta know the family. You date the family, not the girl. So I, so I come to her house one day to meet her. She's not there. I know she's not there. And I park the car and I go down the hill to the front door of the house and I just open the door, and I walk straight in. Walk right in, I don't knock, I don't ring the doorbell, and I go straight into the kitchen, and when I get into the kitchen, I see her stepdad, Big John is what I call him, and he looks at me, not with a smile on his face, he just says, did you just come on in? I'm terrified, y'all. I wanna marry this girl one day. Father-in-law is saying, did you you just come on in? Did, Did you knock, or did you ring the doorbell? And I'm processing, is that a bad thing? Is that, is that a good thing? Like, And I, I just say, yeah, I, ju- I just came on in. And his face lights up as he says, I love that. You're always welcome here. I want you to feel part of the family. Just come on in. We always want you to just walk right in. You've got friends like that. Maybe you do. I've got some friends and some family that are like that. Some friends that feel like family. Some live just down the road from us. They've got boys. We've got boys. We send our boys to their house all the time. They send their boys to our house all the time. And we have this thing where you don't even have to knock. You just go on in. I mean, you might be courteous, and as you open the door and step inside, you just say, hey, hello. But just come on in because that's how close it's an open door policy. They don't care if we've showered in the last week, they don't care if we're wearing jammies. They don't care if we're happy, sad, crying, or laughing. We're always welcome in their home. You don't even have to knock. Just go on in, and we feel the same way about them. We want to be with them, and they want to be with us no matter what. Jesus is the kind of friend who wants to be with you no matter what. He's got an open-door policy where you can walk right in. And if you don't come over then he goes to you and knocks because he's the best friend you could ever ask for. Heavenly Father, today, as we think about who you are and we've very much humanized you today, and while you're the most powerful being in the universe, it's overwhelming to us that you just wanna be with us. So God, we love you and we can't wait to see you. In Jesus' name, amen.